turn your Bibles to Second Chronicles 7.14. You know, I just want to declare that and just say that I am more excited about Jesus than I ever have been before. That I'm falling more and more in love with Him. You know, I, I just feel like right now there's a, not like there hasn't been before, but He's just drawing us and calling us to Himself. And I just want to encourage you to respond to Him. I want to strongly recommend and encourage you to respond to Him and draw close to Him. Especially those of us, those of you who, have, who are recently born again, recently committed your life to the Lord, and you're still experiencing that, that first love, that's awesome. I want to continue, encourage you to keep going. But those of us who have been around for a while, been around the block a few times, those of us who have been in the church, been born again for a long period of time, you know, we can tend to grow crusty and old, Lukewarm, you know what I mean? But I want to encourage you to press into him. Draw close to him. He's saying, come. Come to him. And I want to encourage you to do that. You know, as we've been talking about, as I, I started talking to you last week, the one thing that the Lord encouraged and reminded me of when I was in, in Kenya with Pastor Dale is he reminded me why we're doing what we're doing, the changes that we're making. He says the purpose is to build for sustained revival. That means creating an environment so that when God moves the way he wants to, that he can move here as long as he wants to. That because of our dysfunctional relationships, our self-centeredness and, and all that kind of stuff, we don't short, short circuit or undermine what the Lord wants to do. And that happens, unfortunately. God moves in wonderful ways and man gets in the way. In various ways. And we just want our hearts to be totally submitted to him. So we can allow him to do what he wants to do. Amen. That's what it's about. It's about him doing what he wants and us Partnering with him and experiencing his wonderful goodness, seeing people's lives changed, he gets the glory and we get rewarded for it. Sounds like a win-win situation to me. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Something the Lord strongly put on my heart last week. And I believe it is the word of the Lord for today. So I just want to encourage you to open your hearts and ears to hear what the spirit of the Lord is saying. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for blessing us with your presence. We thank you that we get to enjoy you, Father. We get to walk with you. We get to love you because you first loved us, Lord. You're the one that initiated this whole cool situation. We didn't initiate it initiate it, but you did. And we are so thankful to you for that. And Lord, we don't want to take you for granted. 
We don't want to take you for granted. Father, forgive us for doing that. But we come to you this morning. We open our hearts. We open our ears, Father, to hear what the Spirit of the Lord wants to say. And Father, we position our hearts to embrace your word and be doers of your word. We love you, Father. And we want to honor you with our lives. We want to honor you with our lives. And we choose to start today, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Chronicles 7.14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Who is he talking to? He's not talking to the world, is he? He's talking to people that he is in covenant with. Now, obviously, in the the Old Testament, he's talking to to the children of Israel. He established a covenant with them. He's talking to his people. That call is not to the world. It's to his people. We are also his covenant people. Amen. So he's talking to us, too. He's saying my people. See, a lot of times it's so easy to look at the world and say, man, this world is a mess. Look at our country. What's it coming to? We can't claim to be a Christian nation anymore. And we we look at the condition of the world and the world system. But I have a question to ask you. Is the world system acting the way it's supposed to? Actually, it is. The world system is under whose influence? So the world system is acting the way it's supposed to. This call is not to the world for repentance. Right here. Now, the world does need to repent, obviously. But right here, the call is to God's people. And the Bible in the New Testament says that judgment begins in the house of the Lord, does it not? My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. I believe the only way the condition of our society, the condition of the United States is going to change is when the condition of the church changes. When the condition of God's people, when God's people turn to him, like he says right here. Because you know, in the past, the the great awakening and, and all the revivals of the past, God moved on his church. He moved on his people. They cried out to him. They turned to him and cried out to him. And he began to move in powerful ways. And it started in the church and it blew out of the church and it affected and affected society. Amen. But where did it start? It started in the church. In his house with his people. So if we want to see this nation change, where is it going to start? And if we want to see the church change, where is it going to start? Right here. Boom, right here. You know, and in society, 
You know, he says to turn from their wicked ways. What are wicked ways? It's called sin. That's right. Anything contrary to God's word. And you know, in society, would make sin not sin, but a viable option. Or a choice. You know, society, for example, would say that abortion is a woman's choice because it's her body and she shouldn't have to be made to carry an unwanted fetus or massive tissue. That's what society says. But it's clear in Scripture that God has a different opinion on that matter. You know, the world wants you to say that, wants you to believe that the child inside is, is not a child yet. It's just a, a form, a mass. But you know, in Psalms 139, 13 through 15, it says, You did form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You knew me right well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. And then Jeremiah says, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. In Luke 1.15, it says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, referring to John the Baptist. Genesis 1.27 says that God created man in his own image. So that mass, that fetus, as the world would want to call it, is a human being that the Lord already knows. And so you're not just disposing of tissue, but you're destroying a life. That's God's perspective on that issue. That's not a very popular stance, but that's a biblical stance. You know, it really broke my heart when Leah shared last week. I believe she said there's 1.5 million babies aborted a year. Is that correct? Did I hear that right? Is that that's the thing? 1.5 or 1.5 million. But what really hit me, I don't know if that's right, but it really hit me when she said, and 250,000 of those births will be by evangelical women. Women in the church. So see, the problem is not out there. The problem is us. The problem is with us. You know, society would also say concerning homosexuality that it's it's a viable lifestyle. It's it's another alternative. That people were born this way. And so it's okay. God loves them, which he does. You know, just because a person has, is born with a propensity or they, they have a propensity towards homosexuality doesn't mean that they're to give themselves to that. You realize there are people that are born with a propensity to alcoholism. People that are born with a propensity to anger and violence. Is that an alternative lifestyle? That's okay. It is not okay. There are plenty of scriptures that talk about homosexuality being wrong. 
And it doesn't, it doesn't matter what side of the political fence you reside on. It's wrong, period. It is sin, brothers and sisters. I don't know if you guys are hearing me this morning. And for the most part, we agree with that. And I just want you to know I want to say this so you know where we as, as this church, the leadership of this church stand. When it comes to abortion, it is wrong. It is sin. It is not a viable. It is not a choice. Well, actually, it is a choice you can make, but it is the wrong choice. And we as a church, New Covenant Fellowship, we stand in a position that that is wrong, that it is sin. Is it abominable to God? We also stand with the position that homosexuality is wrong. It is a sin. It's not a viable option. It is wrong. But see, that's not where the problem really lies. Because, see, I believe what happens is we can, we can rally around the cry of abortion is wrong, homosexuality is wrong, and it is wrong. But the problem is, is we so elevate those sins that we forget about other sin. And we say, you know what, since I'm not having abortions and since I'm not in a homosexual relationship, I'm good. It's okay to, for me to continue looking at these pornographic sites. It's okay for me to continue gossiping against my brothers and sisters in the church. It's okay for me to continue lusting after women or, or getting drunk and all these things. Those things are sins just like homosexuality and abortion are sins. And we have to quit thinking that, well, I agree that abortion is wrong, so I'm okay, and it's okay for me to do these smaller sins. Remember who he's talking to. If my people who are, called, who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. He's talking to us. You know, it, it seems like in the, in the charismatic church, which we are, in case you didn't know that, we are, that is us. We believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We pray in tongues. We believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and evidence of tongues is for every believer who wants it. It's a wonderful gift for you, as well as the other gifts of the Spirit that are, talking, that are taught about in 1 Corinthians. But the problem that I'm noticing is that because we do emphasize experience with Jesus, which we will continue, we're not going to shy away from encountering him and having experience with him, experiences with him. You know, be in a sense, you know how the Bible compares the relationship between God and the church? It compares it with husband and wife. If you were to have a marriage, be in a marriage relationship and just have the rules, but no experience with your spouse, what kind of a relationship is that? I don't want nothing to do with that. So God wants us to experience his presence, experience his goodness, experience his reality. Amen. But what happens, though, is we can become so experience oriented that we forget what the word says. And we can get to where we're comfortable. Whatever feels good must be God. And then we can even get to the point where we begin to condone sin. I mean, I've heard testimony. Well, I wouldn't call them testimonies. I've heard confession, shall I say. 
of men saying that the Holy Spirit told them to divorce their wife and marry this woman because they married the wrong woman and this is their true spiritual soulmate. And they say God told them to. There's something wrong with that picture. And so we can become or we can think that because we want to have good experiences with God. And we can express our emotions. And we can become so tolerant of sin. And then sin comes into the church and sin begins to kill, steal and destroy. And we wonder what's going on. Why isn't the presence of God here like we want it? So when he says we need to turn from our wicked ways, what is he talking about? He's talking about sin. And he's not just talking about abortion or just talking about homosexuality. You know, in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, it says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Now, you know, in the Bible, it does say, God says that when a man sleeps with another man like a woman, that's an abomination. Okay, the scriptures say that. But right here he says, these are an abomination. And look what's listed. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. You realize homosexuality is not on that list. But this is on God's hate list right here. And the last one right there, he who sows discord, who sows discord. And we've talked about recently or a while ago that one way to sow discord among brothers is gossip. Would you agree? If I'm gossiping with you about somebody else, I am not sowing unity. I am sowing discord. I'm causing you to have a greater dislike for this person we're talking about. And it's going to cause a rift. It's going to cause a breakdown in relationships. And God is not pleased with that. He is not pleased with that. We know, especially us men, we know the problem that the Internet provides as far as pornographic stuff. And I was looking at statistics on that, and and they're pretty alarming. But they can also be deceptive. They can be hard to interpret. You can interpret them to sound really, really bad that everybody is... uh, um, addicted to pornography. So I'm not going to try to quote scripture or quote statistics. But one thing I did notice, there is a problem. There is a problem with pornography. And the problem is not just outside the church, but it's inside the church. And us men, we know that it's a common struggle for men to be dealing and battling with lust. But that common struggle is not okay. It's not okay to stay in that common struggle and say, well, I'm just a man, you know. God made me this way. And if we're struggling, if we find ourselves struggling with that, we can't just say, well, God will forgive me. We need to get on our our face and say, God, I need deliverance. I need help from this situation. And we can't say it's okay and stay there, but we need to repent and get the help that we need. We need to get the accountability in our lives that's going to help us get free from this garbage. Because it will destroy your family. It will. 
it'll destroy your family. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. The Bible is clear on our relationship with our husband and wife. It says, husbands, love your wives just like Jesus loves the church. That's, our, that's the command right there. Husbands, if you're a husband, raise your hand. It says, husbands, love your wife just like, in the same way. Follow the pattern of Jesus when he loves the church. That is the aim. That is the goal. That is what he tells us to do. Are you doing it? Are you endeavoring to love your wife just like Jesus loves you? I'm not talking about just casually coexisting with your spouse. That is not an option. Actually, it is an option. Just like abortion is an option. Just like murder is an option. It's an option. We can choose to do what we want to do. But if we want to honor and please God, me not loving my wife like Jesus loved the church is not an option. If I consider myself a follower of Jesus Christ. And so if I'm not loving her like I'm commanded to love her, and I don't know how, or I'm stuck, and I'm, I, I don't have the ability, then I need to get on my face and say, God, I need deliverance from my selfishness. God, I need help. I need your grace to love my wife the way you call me to. Wives, the Bible tells you to respect your husband. And see, everybody will agree with the unconditional love. We're called to unconditionally love our wives. But do you realize that the Bible calls you women to unconditionally respect your husbands? Do you realize that? But see, we think that, wait a minute, he doesn't deserve to be respected. Do you know what he does? Do you know what I caught him doing on the computer the other night? Do you know how he treats me? Do you know how you treat Jesus? Just like men are called to unconditionally love their wives, women are called to unconditionally respect their husbands. Now, do not misunderstand me. That doesn't mean if you're in an abusive situation, you stay in that abusive situation because you're respecting your husband. If you need to respect him from a distance, then you do that. Did you hear me? You know, we, we can quote divorce statistics, but we don't need to. We've heard them. Divorce in the church is just as high as in the world. And see, again, there lies the problem. We can't point our finger at the world. We need to look at ourselves and say, God, the problem is me. The problem is me. I can't point my finger at anybody else. Some of us feel like we have a right to be bitter or to hold unforgiveness. No matter how often, how many times we've heard, we've come across a scripture that talks about forgiving. Somehow in our mind, our thinking, we think, well, I understand, but God understands my situation. My situation's different. You don't realize what that person did to me. You don't realize how they betrayed me. How they even stole my spouse or how they they we were in business together. and They stole all that money from me and just left me high and dry with all these bills and all this debt. You don't understand. But if we want to start rattling off our sins and how people have hurt us, 
then let's start rattling off the sins that we've committed against God. Let's get things in perspective here. And that's what he's telling us to do. Get things in perspective. Yes, you've been hurt. Yes, you've been wrongfully treated. Yes, you've been abused. And there is no excuse for that. And God will deal with that person, that individual. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, you and I are called to forgive. Period. And because you are choosing to hold on to that bitterness, it is killing you. It is killing you. I've heard testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony. I've read testimony after testimony of how many people were battling or dealing with or being destroyed by a a chronic or or an illness that was killing them. And then before they even received prayer ministry or healing ministry, the person talking to them asked them, do you have unforgiveness in your life? And they acknowledged that and thank God they were willing to repent and forgive. And before they even prayed for, they were healed. Showing that a major block could most likely be unforgiveness. The Bible says in Proverbs that bitterness is as rottenness to the bones. It'll destroy you. Medical science has already proven how Unforgiveness and bitterness is causing all kinds of health issues. See, so there's a practical reason to forgive. There's a practical reason. If you want to be healthy, you need to forgive. But then there's a biblical mandate. And it is even so strong that Jesus says, For you, if you do not forgive men their sins, then, and we know what it says. And that is pretty harsh. It's like, I don't understand that. But God doesn't call me to understand it. He calls me to obey it. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. One thing I'm really concerned about, and I've shared this over the years. Those of you who have been around for a while have heard me say this, preach this. So I'm not going to go into the whole sermon. But it is a major concern of mine of this gospel that we preach in America. This gospel that preaches that that giving my life to Jesus, that becoming a Christian does not require repentance. That I can pray the prayer and live the lifestyle that I want to live. I mean, I've, during, out witnessing, I've met countless people who are out partying, having a good time, according to the world standards, getting drunk, and we're talking to them. And they say, oh, I'm a Christian. I prayed that prayer. And there's a belief that I prayed the prayer, so I'm good. I'm saved. Now I can do anything I want to. The scripture that puts the fear of God in me concerning that is in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 on. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my father. 
And then he goes on to say, many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do this? And he rattles off some stuff or he lists some things that they said. Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all these things? They had a form of religion. They had some kind of power, something going on. So they had something going on and they said, but Lord, Lord, did we not do these things? And he says to them, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity, which means you who practices his own lifestyle. I never knew you. Now, here's the problem. Here's the scary thing. Those people thought they were okay with the Lord. They thought, hey, I'm good. Look at these things I'm doing. I have a relationship with God. Then they stand before him on that day. And then they're going to find out when it's too late that they never had a relationship with him. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Those are the scariest words any human will ever hear. And it just grieves me that we think in America that we can be a a lip service Christian on Sunday and live any way we want to. And, and, And the stories you hear of the people being frustrated and they they say, well, I don't go to church anymore because it's full of a bunch of hypocrites. How many of you have heard that phrase? We could, we'll all raise our hands on that one. And they talk about it and, and, and they give you examples. They talk about the choir or the worship team or the, or the deacons or the pastors or the, whatever that are that they see out messing around with other women. Or they see them partying or they see them doing things that they should not be doing. They say, wait a minute, that guy's supposed to be representing Jesus. He's supposed to be a born again Christian. He's doing that. Something's wrong with that picture. And we think it's all okay. And the thing is, is many people, because it says many on that day, will say, did we not do this? And he's going to say to those many people, depart from me. And many of those people are in the church. They're not out there in the world. They're in the church. Because they think they're okay. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. You know what I appreciate about this, these verses right here is there, there is a, a wonderful progression. First he says, if my people who are called by my name. We see at the end that they're, they're doing wickedness, right? They are in wickedness. They are in sin. But what is he saying? Come to me. He says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. First of all, we have to humble ourselves. We have to humble ourselves. There's a parallel passage of scriptures in in James chapter four, verse seven through ten, eleven. We have to humble ourselves. We have to recognize, man, I'm messing up. What I'm doing is not cool. It is not acceptable. It is not okay. It is sin. It's an abomination to God. It offends him. It is not good. And we realize our need. I can't break this addiction myself. God, I need you. We recognize our current state and it will humble us. 
Not when we compare ourselves with one another, because see, I can look at you and say, I'm good. I'm good. But I look at him and I say, oh, my goodness, I'm not good. We need to get our perspective right and we need to humble ourselves. And here's what's going to happen when true humility comes in your life. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to pray. Lack of prayer means lack of humility in your life. Because prayer is acknowledging that, Jesus, I need you. God, I need your grace. I cannot do this without you. Apart from you, I can do nothing of any kingdom value. And so if I'm not praying, if I'm too busy doing stuff, then I'm saying, God, I'm good. I got it. I'm good. If I need help, I'll call you. True humility will lead to prayer. And that's what's happened in the past. People got sick and tired of being sick and tired of dying, of seeing the church just, you know, being in shambles and seeing society just being crazy. And they humble themselves. They recognize their condition. They humble themselves and say, God, we need you. And I'm not leaving until I get you. And they cried out to him. And they cried and they cried and they cried and they cried. And they repented. And God moved. He did what he said he would do in this verse. So you'll recognize when true humility is in your life because it'll move you to prayer. And then the cool thing is, is he says, not only to pray, humble themselves and pray, but then he says, seek my face. And then in, in James chapter four, he says, draw near, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Remember that verse? Draw near to me. He's inviting relationship. When he's saying seek his face, he's saying, come close to me. Remember, he's talking to his people who are doing wicked things. And he's saying, come close to me. He's not saying, get a little bit closer so I can smack the fire out of you. That is not what he's saying. There you go. He's saying, come on, come a little closer because you need what I have. For you to be able to fully repent and be free, you need what I have. Come close. And that right there is what it's all about. You see it in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament. God desires relationship with his people. But what will kill and crush that relationship, diminish and hinder, is sin in our lives. Is embracing sin, is saying sin is okay? It's not okay. And so he's saying, come, seek my face, draw close to me. Does that sound like a God that's angry with you? Or does that sound like a daddy who's saying, come on, boy. Come on over here. Now, I don't think he talks like that necessarily. But he is drawing us to himself. That love relationship, just like the songs we sing, that love, come and get it. That's what he's saying. Come and get what I got. But we have to acknowledge our, our condition. We have to repent and turn from our wicked ways and turn to him. But you notice he didn't say, turn from your wicked ways first, then seek my face. You notice that? He says, humble yourselves. And then true humility will bring about prayer. And then while you're praying, seek my face. And then what will happen? Here's how I see this. 
Because I'll draw close to him. I'll see him for who he is. I'll fall deeper, deeper in love with him. That that sin is, is garbage. I don't want that anymore. God, deliver me from this. I don't want it anymore because I want you. I want to be closer to you. I want to hang out with you more. And I know this stuff does not please you. And so it's out of love and his grace, which is the ability to do his will. When we humble ourselves, we receive the grace because he resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we draw close to him after we humble ourselves and he gives us the grace to turn away from our wickedness. And as we seek his face, then we don't want anything to do with that wickedness. So instead of trying to be good and trying to do right and trying to stop sinning, let's draw close to him. Let him fill us. Let him put his love in us. Love him. And then that will diminish. It will diminish. You notice I, I, I experienced something that I was pretty excited about. When we were in Kenya this last, you know, a little while ago. And Dale and I, we had checked in our rooms. And then we we're sitting down at the table. After the electricity came back on, we got to eat. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I thought we were going to have to fast that night, and I wasn't in the mood to fast. But we were um, sitting at the table, and uh, we're just having a good time fellowship, waiting for our our meal. And and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit told me something. And I know when he tells me something, if I don't act upon it, I'm going to be in trouble. So he says, here's what I want you to do. And he said to me, tell Pastor Dale that you're committing to him that you are not turning the TV on in your room. Now, men, we know what kind of stuff can be on TVs, right? Especially in hotel rooms. And I'm not talking about sports either. And that stuff can be a snare. And see, I had a choice. He said, commit to Pastor Dale that you will not turn a TV on in your room. And because I love him. And I want to draw close to him. And I want to be used by him to, to minister to people effectively. I said, hey, Pastor Dale, I want to tell you something. And I told him. And guess what? The TV was not an issue at all. And, because I, and, not even, and even if it was just sports, even if it's just filling that time with just a waste of stuff. But instead of having a TV on, because when we went to, to our rooms, we'd have, I don't go to sleep till after 12 anyway. So I'd have a good three and a half, four hours of just hanging out with Jesus. But if the TV was on, it would have been diminished. But the thing was, is out of that love for him, it wasn't, well, what's wrong with the TV, Lord? It's okay. I'm just going to watch ESPN. You know, there was no, no justifying anything. Even if it's not talking about sin. The Bible says, talks about to, to remove the sin and the things that entangle. The things that will trip us up from running effectively the race he set before us. And I was so excited because of what I got to experience that week, mainly my time with him. It was so enjoyable. It was so refreshing. He was just burning revival in my soul and my heart. And I got to experience that because it wasn't diminished by the TV set. But it wasn't thou shalt not watch TV. It was, I get to hang out with Jesus. And that's what I'm talking about, brothers and sisters. Relationship. He says, seek my face and then turn from your wicked ways. 
Our desire here at New Covenant Fellowship is for there to be an atmosphere of His presence so that we enjoy His presence. We come under conviction because we see His goodness and His glory and say, Oh God, you're so good. And the Holy Spirit says, I want to talk to you about this, this thing that I've been talking to you about. And you say, yes, Lord, you can have it. I surrender. I repent right now. So that we can get closer to him. So we can love him more. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not proving I love him by keeping his commandments. But it's because I love him, I'm going to want to keep his commandments. There's a difference. It's not trying to prove. But it's. You do who you are. Amen. When it comes to conviction, how do you know if you listen to the Holy Spirit? Or the devil. Because I'm sure he's trying to talk right now too. The Holy Spirit will convict you of your sin. The devil will try to get you to focus on other people's sin. Well, I sure hope so-and-so is listening to this message. Honey, wake up. Did you hear what he said? Respect. Did you write that down in your notes? That's not the Holy Spirit talking to you on that. Okay. When he's talking to you, he's going to deal with you about you and him, your stuff. And also, how do you know if the Holy Spirit's convicting you? Because he will convict you of sin, but he will draw you to himself. The devil will try to bring condemnation on you. You'll just have this, this sense of just feeling unworthy, feeling condemned, and you'll want to push away from God because you don't deserve him. Now, we didn't deserve him, but we do now because he says, you deserve me. He made us able to deserve him because of the blood of Jesus, because of our relationship with him, because of his covenant. So I just bind the work and the the voice of the enemy right now. I just take dominion over condemnation right now. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. Conviction. This week I've been praying and praying and praying. Oh, God, I want the gift of repentance. God, I want the gift of repentance. Father, search me and try me. Try my heart. See if there's any wicked way in me that I don't even notice. Reveal it to me, oh, God, so I can walk in your ways. That needs to be the cry of our heart. Not, well, it's okay to do this and still be a Christian. But God, I want to draw closer and closer to you. I want you. You alone. And that song that we sang earlier, he says, come and get it. Come and get it. What we're going to do right now is I'm going to invite you to the altar. No one's going to lay hands on you. We're not going to pray for you. This is between you and God. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and heal their land.
I believe the Holy Spirit's been convicting us, putting, tugging that, that space in your heart that you know, you know is wrong. And He's wanting to give you the opportunity to repent, to come to Him, to let Him heal, deliver, to set you free. Mm-hmm.